Hello, I am Mary Ellen Harn of Capgemini, and welcome to the World Wealth Report 2020 podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the key findings from the World Wealth Report with the wealth management industry's leading social media influencer, April Rudin, along with Elias Ganim, Capgemini's global head of the market intelligence team, who each year produces the World Wealth Report. If you find our podcast informative today, please like it on SoundCloud and share it with your network of colleagues. Welcome, April and Elias. Uh, Can you each tell me a bit about yourself before we jump into the questions? April, let's start with you. Thanks, Mary Ellen. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate and talk about World Wealth Report 2020. Uh, My firm has been a contributor to the World Wealth Report for many years now and had the pleasure of delivering a LinkedIn Live broadcast to deliver the results on the report. Uh, We've been involved in World Wealth since 2008, helping wealth management brands and wealth tech firms, uh, all of those in the ecosystem, become more visible and amplify their brands to the marketplace. And one of the um, reports that we rely on time after time is, of course, the Capgemini World Wealth Report. Well, thank you, April, and we're delighted to have you with us today. Elias, could you now share a bit about yourself? Hi, Marilyn, and thank you so much, April, for joining us today. Indeed, the Wells Report is uh, one of the most important reports that the market intelligence team produce. We've been producing it for the last 24 years, and next year is a quarter of a century. Imagine that. And it brings really what is happening in the Wells uh, evolution across the world. In the market intelligence team, the main focus for us is really to bring in the outside perspective on what is happening in the industry. Let's just jump right into the report. The World Wealth Report mentions that 2019 was an unusual year in terms of high net worth individual population and wealth growth trends. Could you please share why this is so and how things evolved in light of the COVID-19 crisis in the first half of 2020? Marie-Hélène, unusual year is definitely the best definition. We had a very interesting things. It was a stagnating economy in 2019, though the global high net worth population, as well as wealth, increased by around 9%. And for the first time since 2012, North America led the high net worth individual populations and wealth growth, taking over of the Asian markets. What are the main reasons? In fact, the main reason for the growth were the impact on one side of the very accommodative monetary policy, but on the other side, the tech sector that has been a booster of optimism uh, to, the, to the financial markets. The, if I look more in a bit more details, APAC, which used to lead the growth, had this year a mixed performance across market with some exhibiting a double-digit growth, while others showing weaker performance. I can't finish without mentioning the COVID-19, which the report, as a reference, has been done before the COVID. So we finished the review of uh, the data gathering by February. But also we looked at the COVID impact and doing a quick uh, analysis on it, we estimate there is an impact, a decline in the global wealth around 6 to 8% by the end of April. But now being in August, we look back and we see the market bouncing so well. So what to say other than what a weird year, what an unusual year, and let's see how 2020 will finish.
April, do you have anything you'd like to add to this? Sure. I mean, to Elias's point, there's been some slowing of um, market growth in APAC, uh, where North America has um, surpassed APAC for the first time uh, in many years. And what does that mean? I guess we don't really know in this first year, but it's something to keep an eye on. It does mean for for wealth management firms operating in North America, there is an even greater opportunity to connect with clients and help them understand and manage their wealth. Um, that's not to say that there is not an opportunity in APAC because obviously uh, there is still a huge um, amount of wealth and it's still growing quite quickly, although it is interesting to note that that has changed in um, North America. I think that one of the most important takeaways for firms, particularly those that are operating globally, is that they need to consider each region of the world differently and what the needs and wants could be of um, investors in each one of those markets. And uh, as we'll talk about later on in this broadcast, technology um, is one way of doing that. Um, and of course, as Elia said, we um, don't know right now the full impact of COVID-19, which crept in slowly in 2020, you know, began slowly in January, February, and, you know, full on stop to the global economy and investor sentiment beginning, I would say, the end of February. And so um, what would be fascinating is to see World Wealth Report 2020 and to understand what the impact has been of COVID-19 as that was a global event on a global economy. So true, April. And, and you know, it's going to be really interesting, too. Next year's report is the 25th edition of it. And it's going to have quite fascinating findings with what's happened with the pandemic. Moving to the next question, the report also stresses the need for hyper-personalization by wealth management firms. Why is this becoming critical and how can firms achieve hyper-personalization? Elias, let's get your point of view on why this is so critical. It is turning very critical. High net worth individuals are really raised three elements of uh, hyper-personalization that we were able to discover in the 2019 report. They told us about the fee structure. They need to be different. They told us that sustainable investment is very important. And they also told us that they want value-added services. And for me, the mix of them, a fee structure pressure, a different portfolio evolution, as well as a different need, is the characteristic of treat me differently. And as such, the wealth management firm need to adapt to that and be able to evolve from the way they charge their customers, from the way they offer uh, opportunities for investment for their portfolio, and definitely the most important opportunity is about addressing the specific need of each one. April, do you agree? Um, uh, of course. Uh, I think there are other things that play into this as well. Hyper-personalization has always been important in serving the ultra-high net worth market. They say that if you know one family office, you know one family office because each one is a snowflake. And so um, the lessons and products and services offered by firms in a retail market really are irrelevant to serving the ultra high net worth market. Um, I think one of the interesting things that we saw in Capgemini 2019 um, that's repeated is the ability for technology to really impact the service model 
that um, wealth management firms and banks can use. So AI and analytics are really driving the hyper-personalization um, through uh, several ways, one of which is personalized product uh, recommendations. And um, that's key to understanding client behavior. And we're, we're expecting to see much more of that um, as we go on in wealth management. Uh, personalized advisory, um, meaning that there are many different services and products that um, ultra high net worth and high net worth individuals want, some of whom are inheritors. Um, that is, they are inheriting wealth across generations and others may be creators and their wants and needs are quite different. And then customized reporting is really coming into view also based on aggregated data. And I think um, while that's been a trend before 2019, it's really brought into sharp relief given COVID-19, where people want to know where are their assets, uh, what are their investments, how are they performing, do they have access to cash? And um, so I think we can expect to see these trends continuing. It seems like from what I'm hearing that COVID-19 is basically taking what were trends and accelerating them. Do you think this is fair to say? Absolutely. So I, I, I saw a meme not long ago, Mary Ellen, that said that asked the question, what's driving digital transformation at your organization? So is it the CTO, the CIO or COVID-19? And while we can, you know, take a laugh at that, I know that wealth management has been called one of the slowest industries to adopt digital transformation and technology. And so what we've seen is um, other people have used the expression, you know, five years and five weeks that we've had to move from, you know, an office-based business to a home-based business for large enterprise wealth management firms and global banks. It hasn't been easy, but it's been a stress test for them to really understand how well they've been performing. And uh, and from what I've seen and heard, uh, people have really performed better or uh, at least as good as, as they expected. Marielle, if I may jump on that also, I love this five, by the way, April, I love this five years and five weeks. It's amazing how we could be preaching digitalization forever and something happened, a black swan happens and see people evolving. One thing that I've noticed a lot in the last two months is the willingness of all wealth management firms to go digital. They were quite, until now, they were quite, we don't need to do it. It's not for us. But clearly there is now a, an active role in digitizing the experience from a digital contract to a digital signature to a digital data sharing and, and so on. It's impressive to see that. And for me, there is also a major drive. There is a big shift into wealth. And we are noticing that the younger wealth population is much more looking for a digital experience. And COVID has made it generic for everybody now and going digital. So the five years and five weeks, very well said. So I would also, I'm going to just add one thing to that also. Um, uh, I love that also because obviously we've been pushing that and, um, you know, finally it's here. Um, also, you made a point about millennials and digital. I just want to emphasize um, 2018 World Wealth Report also found that the appetite for digital is just as high, if not higher, I believe, in ultra high net worth boomers. So when firms are thinking about 
their digital offerings and transformation, um, they should make sure that they're not thinking it over an overly segmented way that is um, digital is only for millennials because the appetite for ultra high net worth um, from boomers down to millennials has never been higher. And why not? Because of course they're mobile, they're digital, they're global, and um, they expect the same service experience they get from other service providers. So April, what you're saying basically is that everyone wants digital, millennials, boomers, you name it, we all want it. So that's really a, 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 a really a commentary on what's happening in society. And uh, thank you for mentioning that. Um, let's turn now to wealth management firm revenues, and they're coming under pressure. What are the potential growth opportunities that firms can explore to address revenues coming under pressure? Yes, with no doubt. Uh, the wealth management firms are getting significant pressure. On one side, as we said earlier, from a cost perspective, and on the other side is on the revenue perspective. What did we see? First, we saw that the customers are saying, I do not want to pay the same fees as I was paying before. Second, we saw that they are saying, treat me differently in my portfolio. And third, they said, offer me value-added services. And clearly, the value-added services are the way for new revenue streams. What are the main revenue streams that we have seen? Well, the and specifically the ultra high net worth individuals that are below 40, when we ask them, 48% of them said they were are willing to get more value-added services, and 80% of them said they are willing to pay for these value-added services, which is very interesting. They are looking for it and they are they recognize the value in it. What are these services? They are telling us, help me in my real estate investments. Help me in my tax planning. Help me in my legal consultation. Help me in my inheritance advice, as well as sometimes help me in offering me services catering to the investment of passion. Now, we know tax planning and legal consultation is not something that wealth management firm can do directly, but they can always get a network of support to provide the service to the, to the ultra health networks. It's important for the wealth management firms to be able to be next to their customers in the year like the COVID year, which is a very unique one, as well as in any important moment in their life. One of the most important elements we talk about it is the wealth transfer, the multi-generational wealth transfer. That's one. There is also women in wealth, which have a different behavior, as well as a willingness for much more sustainable investment. These are some elements that are great opportunities for the wealth management to increase uh, new streams of revenue. Thank you, Elias. And, and April, what do you think about all this? So I think we should take a step back and think about why wealth management firm revenues have come under pressure. And uh, that's because there has been a certain amount of new transparency that's been added to the equation. Um, people. Uh, Younger generations, women and others, um, don't want to have an opaque sort of fee schedule. And so there's been more of a demand to understand what the fees are that people are paying for um, investment management and other services beyond. Um, and so that has driven um, more pressure, right, once that's been revealed. People are able to get an idea of 
whether they're paying on portfolio size, what they're paying for additional services. But I would say that that also creates a great opportunity for wealth management firms and banks to really explain in a transparent and um, authentic way what they are charging for and what the actual value of those value-added services are. So as Elias points out accurately, um, some wealth management firms don't have the ability or it's outside their service level to provide some of these ancillary services. It does give them the ability, particularly in COVID-19 times, to become the primary advisor to these ultra high net worth clients so that all of the questions and the ability to provide them with insight, advice, comfort, um, and get closer to their clients is really there. And bringing on trusted partnerships, I think, is the trend that we can expect to see from this. And um, as the report revealed, younger clients, of course, are, are willing to pay. They just want to understand what the fees are and tax planning, legal, real estate, that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's all sorts of legacy um, and generational planning, as uh, uh, Elias mentioned. Um, uh, many different services that can help wealth management firms get close to their clients as they understand more about wealth and some of the complexities that are um, part of the everyday lives of wealthy people. So I would say that for me, this is one of the most interesting um, and continuing, uh, continually important trends of Capgemini World Wealth Report is the opportunity for wealth management firms to get closer to their clients. Marilyn, if I may add something very interesting uh, that uh, April mentioned here is all the concept of sustainable investing. Clearly, the sustainable investing is gaining prominence and is becoming more and more relevant every year. Very interesting. We, we've been tracking this number for the last few years, and we will give it a big focus going forward. few data points to, uh, to help us understand here. The, the, the report has shown that 27% of the overall high net worth individual population are interested in sustainable investing product. And within the overall population, the population that is the most interested is the ultra high net worth individuals below 40. 49% of them are very interested by that. And then when we engage with the, the community of the high net worth community and we ask them, what is the percentage of the portfolio you are willing to allocate? We got very encouraging numbers. By 2020, high net worth individuals are saying that they want to allocate up to 41% of their portfolio to sustainable investing. And this number jumped to 46% by 2021. So we're clearly seeing a trend here where sustainable investment for many reasons is becoming an important part of the portfolio of the customers. And that's quite revealing that we have discovering into the Wells report. So the report does recommend that firms focus on the critical 20% of the wealth management value chain to maximize the impact of investments during uncertainty. Could you please describe what this 20% is for wealth management firms? April, let's start with you. Sure, Mary Ellen. So um, in the World Wealth Report, um, it's mapped to take a look at the wealth management client journey and the firm's operating models. And in the 
client journey. Uh, it was found uh, through World Wealth Report 2020 that high net worth individuals are least satisfied at touch points related to personalized information and services um, during certain points, and that would be at client acquisition. So that is a really important first touch point. So that is onboarding, um, advisory, uh, which we've spoken about, and value-added services. And by contrast, they feel that big techs are the strongest at these touch points. So many wealth management firms may feel like their competition is coming from the wealth management firm or global bank next door. But through World Wealth Report and other reports, we know that firms need to be taking a look at what is happening at big techs. So um, one of the strongest data points is that 74% of high net worth individuals are open to wealth management offerings from the big tech firms. And that number rises to 94% of high net worth individuals who might be likely to switch to those firms in the next 12 months. So what does that mean? It means that we, we could likely look for partnerships between some of the big tech firms. Those are the FANGs, that's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, partnering with some of the uh, large banks and wealth management firms to deliver partnered offerings. Um, I think COVID-19 and other market opportunities um, have given global banks and wealth management firms um, the idea that they no longer have to have the we built it here mentality, meaning that they are more open and willing to um, develop partnerships so that the technology piece can be delivered by firms who maybe have are further along down the value chain on that and able to plug and play into what a wealth management firm or a global bank is already offering. Thank you, April. Elias, do you have anything to add? Look, what we did in, in the Wells report this year, we really went into the whole value chain on the customer side as well as the uh, the wealth management firm. Let me give deep dive in what April just said here. When we looked at the customer value chain, we divided into 11 pieces, starting from researching information about the wealth management firm and finishing with receiving value-added services. And we went to the customer, to the high net worth individuals. We interviewed more than 2,500, by the way. And we asked them several questions on that. And the first question we asked them is the touch point where they were least satisfied from their wealth management firm, question one. Second question, we told them, where do you think big tech could give you a better solution? And finally, we asked them, out of the whole value chain of 11 pieces here, what are the wow moments? Where would you like your provider to wow you? And what came out of it, very interesting, is first, they said, researching information about the firm. This is today the, one of the most difficult part for the high net worth individual to understand the whole services that the wealth management could offer. They also said in the same category of researching information about the firm, this is where big tech are very good. Uh, going on a big tech website, you really understand what these guys do. And finally, interestingly as well, they said this is one of the wow moments where they would like their uh, wealth firms to, to treat them better in educating them about what the wealth firm does. Then 
and more details, of course, in the report. But the second one where they reacted a lot is about, I want to be able to receive personalized update about new product and services. Same category, big uh, touch point uh, where the clients are less satisfied, where they believe also that big tech could offer a better service and they they would like to be wowed. The third one, is about, I would like to be receiving educational market information. And the last one is I would like to receive value-added services. So the famous 20% that you were mentioning earlier on, Marilene, is really about researching information about the wealth management firm, personalizing, receiving personalized update about the new product and services, be well-educated, receiving educational market information, And finally, receiving value-added services. By focusing on these and by using technology, as April mentioned earlier on, AI being one of them and data analytics is the second one, wealth management firm could deliver a better service to their customers. Okay, but having said that, there's still 80% left. How do do firms balance the the critical 20% and the remaining 80%? April, um, could, could you elaborate on this? Sure, Mary Ellen. So OpenX era has many new opportunities for wealth management firms to really think about their operating models, as we were talking about before. Um, firms can really follow a two-pronged approach. Um, they can acquire um They could focus in on acquiring advisory and value-added services. They can invest in technologies, as we talked about, AI and analytics, to help build in-house capabilities. And um, that would, you know, um, really um, pad their growth for the future where they're able to um, have some in-house capabilities. They can also leverage a, a growing ecosystem of collaboration and partnerships, as I was mentioning before, and that can enhance their capabilities. So OpenX has definitely given uh, wealth management firms some different paths for them to follow. Um, and for other areas that didn't really emerge in this World Wealth Report as a really a hypercritical focus, uh, like compliance and reporting, there are also a variety of directions that firms can can consider for that. I would guess that compliance and reporting, um, even though I don't have a crystal ball, will be even a greater, sharper focus for firms once we take a look at 2020 due to COVID-19. But I think that there's a range of end-to-end wealth tax solutions that big banks and global wealth management firms can really uh, either partnership partner with or buy. So I think the um, ability to grow in many different ways is in front of these firms. It's um, an opportunity for these wealth tech firms to really market themselves and create relationships to be on the roadmap and to be uh, to have these firms aware of their capabilities and opportunities. Thank you, April. Elias, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yes, in fact, I'd like to come back to uh, the first mention from April, the OpenX, and give you more background on what that stands for. In fact, OpenX is a concept that we launched at uh, Capgemini last year and saying it's the evolution from the open banking to OpenX, X for experience, and in the concept of an open platform. 
And our recommendation to the wealth management firms is to really embrace this open platform that we call OpenX to delight the clients while optimizing the operating model. To make that happen, to move in an open X, there are four concepts that they need to consider. Evolve from a product selling to an experience offering. Evolve from an asset-based relationship. We have a network of advisors towards a more data-driven analysis. To move from an ownership of all the assets to more shared access where, as we mentioned earlier, they could work with wealth tech, with big tech, with other ecosystem players, they could partner to offer the better solution. And that's where an OpenX for us is a seamless exchange of data and resources combined with an expedite product innovation that will deliver an improved customer experience. And that's this customer experience is at the heart of how wealth management firm could delight their customers, retain them, engage them, and grow, of course, their relationship and their uh, bottom line. Thank you, Elias and April. Well, this wraps up today's podcast. I want to thank you both for joining me and sharing your insights. To our listeners, you can go on SoundCloud and all major podcast apps and search, listen, and subscribe to Capgemini's World Report podcast series. We'll be back soon with a new podcast on the findings of the 2020 World InsurTech Report. In the meantime, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter and visit capgemini.com to download the report. Thanks for listening. This is Designing Momentum, a podcast from Capgemini. Designing Momentum is a show about what it takes to build and maintain momentum in business. When the odds are against you, how do you forge your own path? Original ideas very rarely come from looking in the same places you always look. So in this show, we'll be turning the spotlight in a different direction that you wouldn't necessarily think to look. Hosted by me, Frank Wammers, and with the help of Rachel Burford, International Women's Rugby World Cup winner, and experts in emerging technology and sport will be exploring why what goes on in the boardroom isn't so different to what happens on the pitch. Make sure you subscribe now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>